You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back, Arizona. It's 8 o'clock Saturday morning, second Saturday of the month. So we are talking trees with John Eisenhower of Integrity Tree Service. As he shimmies on down his pine tree, comes over here and gets to the microphone. You can join the conversation if you have a tree question at one 767 4348 That's one 888 for you You can text questions to 411-923. Or if you have a question, plant, or insect identification, you can email a picture to info at rosyonthehouse.com. Mr. Eisenhower. Good morning. And today, uh, we've got our, our weekly tree to do, and we've also got our tree of the month. Uh, yeah, you outperformed yourself last time we covered pomegranate, though. <laughs> you brought one in live. You showed us how to properly what, what, dissect oh, a oh, pomegranate. Oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> open it and de-seed it. Yeah, we, uh, that's, that's so much fun, taking the, all the seeds out of a pomegranate tree in under a minute or so. For those of you who haven't seen that, you need to go to the website and look it up. Um, just put my name in there and, and pomegranate, and it'll probably give you a YouTube video. It shows us uh, how to open up a pomegranate and take all the seeds out in just about two or three minutes. As and, opposed to sitting there trying to pick them all out individually one at a time. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, but what a wonderful fruit. And they they're, I remember as a kid, I used to just love them, but it was and part of the the fun of it was was taking them apart and pulling all those seeds out one by one. That probably uh, my mom had probably given to us just as a a way of keeping us occupied for <laughs> for twenty or thirty minutes. But yeah, th- there is a, a easier way to do that. And um, yeah, we processed quite a few last year. In fact, I can't wait because in the next uh, couple of weeks I'll be going over to a customer's of mine. She's a ninety three year old mother of a. Uh, a grade school t- uh, classmate of mine back in the in the 60s still lives in the same house and she has a tree that's about as old as 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 we are it's a huge pomegranate tree about 40 feet across and about 25 feet tall it's just a big shrub sits in the back of an irrigated lot and it has is loaded with pomegranates and she doesn't really use them so i asked if i could glean some of the fruit last year and I, some of our listeners may recall that I, I, I had about uh, ten boxes of pomegranates I took out last year, and I off and of one tree, off of one tree, and I took them, and and that was just I was kind of late in the season. The birds had already gotten about half of them, and there been there was plenty that had already fallen on the ground and started to rot away. But these are just beautiful pomegranates. They they ripen over quite a long period of time, so there was still a lot of good fruit left on the tree. And I decided I would process them all. So I I processed them with my method of opening them up and taking them apart and taking all the seeds out until my hands were pretty raw just from the—and the, and I just got tired of uh, um, uh, doing so many of them. And then I took all the rest of them and I juiced them. And we actually invested in a little bit higher quality juicer because we had those little tiny ones— you know, some people remember those old Oster ones that, you know, that you just press down on the little central um, spindle and it and it it, it can 
uh, juice citrus pretty pretty nicely. But that's a lot of work too. We got one that has a handle on the on the uh, that you pull down like a lever, and it actually presses the fruit out a lot faster. And we um, it was well worth the investment because I processed about 300 of the rest of them. You know all the smaller ones that I hadn't deseeded. And we had, you know, juice forever. So we just take it and put it in little quart jars and put it in the freezer, and and uh, just keep the juice. And what a what a uh, it's just been a, a real blessing to have all those seeds. We also took all the seeds and put them in in large one gallon Ziploc bags, and also put those in our freezer. So all year long, you just have this wonderful frozen fruit. I don't know how many people enjoy frozen fruit. But I, I I eat frozen corn, frozen peas. I'm 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 kind of crazy this way. You can buy the fruit at you know at Costco and other places that you know you get blueberries and all sorts of assorted frozen um, fruit, which we do as well. But it's nice to have your own source of of. I, we do pears and and peaches and and apricots, and 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 of course grapes are one of my favorite. It's kind of like eating a eating a a. a, a um, what are those old popsicles? You see the old Seven Up kind of popsicles. That's what it reminds me of when I eat a frozen grape, because they 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 freeze down and it's a nice little frozen summer treat. So we just a way of processing all of your you know excess um, fruit. You can just take it, put it in a freezer, and you can take it out. Either let it thaw and 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 eat it as you normally would, or as I do, I just like to eat it frozen. And there is something about. It coming from your own yard or something you've grown that, sure, just the, yeah. the satisfying it taste. Is. Is. There's something about processing your own uh, produce and being able to enjoy it over the course of the year. It's a way of extending it out. I remember you had a broadcast recently with Greg and Kari Spencer uh, talking about that very thing and, and being able to harvest a lot of fruit, not letting it go to waste, and find ways to. To, to, to process it and, and freezing is a real easy way. Of course, we have to have an extra um, upright freezer in our pantry that, uh, in addition to our regular um, refrigerator in our kitchen. But man, it's it's been a, a source of a lot of a lot of processed food that we enjoy. While we're on that topic, can I talk about Club Three Thousand? Yes, Club Three Thousand. Look it up online. Just look up Club Three Thousand. It'll pop up. There's a, a distribution center. This is a a nonprofit organization that uh, distributes produce. And I've been going there for the last year and a half or so uh, on Saturday mornings, um, also on Mondays and on Wednesdays at some of the locations. And they provide up to 60 pounds of produce for $10. It's amazing. It's so much fun. You can bring your own um, containers. We bring a couple milk crates or some other boxes or they provide their own. If you, if you don't have your own, they, they, they have some you can have. They ask you to bring them back if you can um, uh, f- on the following week. There's some plastic containers. But they, um, it's, it's amazing. We go down, and, and, and they uh, send out a little text the day ahead if you get on their mailing list to let you know what's available. But today they have mangoes available, and I am going to go get mangoes like I did last year. I did about 200 pounds of mangoes last year. And instead of freezing them, we did freeze a few. Instead of freezing them, we dehydrated um, all of them. We we went out and on Craigslist bought a, a commercial dehydrator, a little bit bigger than the ones you can just buy at the at the um, uh, hardware store. And th- there, it, it has ten different racks in it, so you can get a little bit higher volume of food dehydrated at one time. 
and we uh, have dried mangoes and all, all year long. And we, I actually, at the Club 3000 last year, they had Roma tomatoes, and they look so good. But what do you do with 20 or 30 pounds of Roma tomatoes? Well, I cut those lengthwise, put them, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the pulp of the fruit up on the, on the trays, and you simply um, dry them. And then you have your sun, basically sun-dried tomatoes. Um, and I, t- I actually took a little bit of, uh, I made a little concoction with some salt and pepper and some oregano and some basil and ground them and kind of pulverized them in my mortar and pestle. And I took that solution and I sprinkled it over the top of all those um, tomatoes before I dried them. So the the herb, the spices and, uh, and herbs um, just dried alongside, along with the fruit. So I had these little um, seasoned Italian Roma tomatoes um, that I just finished the last ones just last week. So that's another way of, of preserving uh, you know, larger quantities of fruit. And that dehydrator is pr- paid for itself many times over um, for the $100 or so that I, I, I spent on it, uh, buying it on Craigslist. So um, having a lot of fun with that stuff, um, preserving fruit. And, and vegetables. That's one of our to-dos in our home maintenance calendar because fall is such a great time for production in Arizona. And you had mentioned that one fruit, that one pomegranate tree. Once something's matured, the amount of produce a plant can provide is more than we can eat. Uh, sure. And before it goes bad, or like you'd mentioned, the birds getting it. And there's a lot of great tools for preserving. So we'll cover that a little next hour in our open line hour, but for... Uh, for this hour and trees on the pomegranate, it's a, it doesn't look like it just because it doesn't look like the other desert plants, but it is from more of an arid zone and it is a very drought tolerant sure uh, option, which is funny because of how much produce you get on it. You don't there's not a lot of plants that you put as high producers and drought tolerant. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's it loves the sun, loves the full sun. It grows. It's considered a large shrub. But they can be they can grow up to be you know fifteen or twenty feet tall. Uh, uh, this one that that this old um, friend of ours has that big twenty five footer is is unusual because it's so tall because it's been in that yard for so long. But uh, commonly they'll grow to you know ten or fifteen feet tall. A lot of people use them for a privacy screen. You can plant them side by side. They make a nice uh, a nice a nice hedge. Uh, they. Uh, uh, Tend to grow multi-trunked from the ground up, so it's a wide has a wide footprint in the landscape. It's uncommon to see them with a single stem, although you suppose you could train them up that way because they want to sprout from the base. There's a lot of uh, small little um, sprouts that come up, and we just train them to be multi-trunk and enjoy that large shrub. In terms of their their fruit production, that's convenient because all the fruit is well within reach. And uh, if you do have a pomegranate, that tree, is convenient. Sure. <laughs> Uh, just to avoid the insects that that commonly uh, get into the um, pomegranates, what I like to do is, you know, as they begin to ripen on the tree is take a small bag, uh, the little um, brown uh, lunch sack type bags are are perfect because you can put a single bag over a single piece of fruit and then just put a rubber band or or a, a food tie around the top to close them. And then they'll ripen inside the bag. And then, you know, toward the uh, um, end of the season, you simply open the bag up and the insects haven't gotten gotten some of those. I leave a few of them out to let the attract the insects to the fruit that I'm not, I don't care about. 
and then the uh, the nicer fruits that are starting to size well, I'll cover those with the bags, and that way I can you know assure myself of a of a reasonable harvest that doesn't have uh, have bugs. And I had a great weekend last weekend. I didn't do anything I planned. We had a random hailstorm come through and dropped more water in one you know, hour wow. than any other rainstorm we had all season long. And this was at night, so in the morning everything was wet. And there was just too good of an opportunity not to spend all day on a tractor. I got more done <laughs> and one day on the tractor than I would have gotten in four months. Yeah, yeah. Did, I mean, with, with that rain, you know, you can't waste that that soil working condition we have. This absolutely, and the same is true when the when it rains uh, in our yards in using hand tools, and it's a great time to to reshape your berms around your trees, do a little bit of um, uh, building of swales and other things to retain water on your property. You know, we just—it's a great time to do. Actually, we sometimes even went out there while while the while the while the rain is 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 falling, and the water is actually running in the yard because then you can see where it's running, where it's going, and you can kind of control it and kind of work with the water while it's running and pooling in your yard. And it's a good time rather be, rather than wait until after it's already soaked in, then you don't really realize where it was traveling. And yeah, we were just discussing that the other day with one of my customers about how to retain the water and, and actually utilize it because he doesn't have gutters on his on his house and that's really good because if you put gutters up you automatically robbed water from a bunch of trees and plants that used to have it so although gutters are a benefit it does redistribute the the, the runoff from the from the rain from the roof which used to go to other plants nearby so keep that in mind I, I was recommending that he not put gutters up there because all those those plants that were on that side of the house are benefiting from that rainfall that comes right off the edge of the roof. Um, but he was just trying to wonder how to keep the rutting down. We were trying to think of ways to kind of redirect that water to some of the trees that are already there and let them benefit rather than let it run right down the, the slope and into the street and into the into the city uh, uh, sewer system. Uh, better to try to capture that and keep it on the on the property if you can. And it's a good time to do that right after it rains. Because <laughs> you, you, exactly, you, you can see, see it, the, and, the, and the and the ground is moist, and you can start working the soil with your rake and shovel, and makes a lot, lot lighter work for now sure. Now, what it did let me do the whole day sitting on the tractor. I know you're obviously paying attention to the work you're doing, but I got to do a lot of looking around, and I've got my top five trees I'm going to get pruned this weekend. Cool. <laughs> on your fall pruning talking uh, points. Deciduous versus non-deciduous. If something's going dormant, can we be a little bit more uh, aggressive with our pruning shaping and save yeah. it through to to not have to do another winter one and carry that into the next spring's bloom? Yeah, we do a lot of our, our pre-monsoon trimming in May and June. And as fall, as we turn the corner into fall, you can start to increase the pruning on, on certain tree species. In fact, people ask me, you know, what's the what tree should I prune in the fall? You know, what trees, you know, it's probably a better question to ask is what trees should you not prune in the fall? Depending on the dosage of pruning and the species, 
many many trees can be pruned all year all year long if the dosage is low and you're just doing a little grooming and trimming here and there if you're going to be doing any kind of significant pruning definitely you don't want to be trimming frost sensitive trees your citrus your other uh, trees that tend to freeze in the winter this is a time when they are you know building up a a winter coat so to speak and you don't want to be taking that winter coat off just as we turn the corner into the cooler weather so you you don't want to set those up for a deeper freeze because the the plants freeze from the outside in so if they have a nice full winter coat then they might lose the outer foot of the foliage uh, but the interior of the plant and some of the heavier more significant wood and branches will still remain uh, protected so you want to be sure you go very lightly on any frost-sensitive tree species except for some minor grooming. But some of the other trees, more vigorous tree species, you can be a little more aggressive. Uh, this uh, this time of year, the mesquites and the, the olives and the sumacs and the eucalyptus, which you might have done a little bit of pruning on earlier in the spring and summer, they could use a little bit of a, um, a second pruning, if you will. Some of the more vigorous trees, like our mesquites, we actually have some customers who ask us to come out a couple of times a year because they like their trees to look look nice as they turn the corner into the into the holiday season when their home is going to be uh, wanting. They want it to look nice for 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 guests and so forth. And if they go through a long summer of of the the trees pushing a lot of heavy growth. This is a time when um, they don't want them to be looking shaggy and ragged uh, as we as they uh, uh, start inviting guests over. So we do have sometimes a little second, you know, minor trimming of, of some tree species like your mesquites and the more vigorous trees. Well, we've got more talking points to go through, but let's get Mike's question on the air real quick at one 767 4348 That's 1-888. Rosie, for you. Mike, go ahead. Hi. Got a quick question. Have a redbud tree that actually came from Georgia as a little sapling uh, my dad grew up, had it in my yard for like 19 years, and all of a sudden, this this summer, branch by branch, has been dying off. Uh, pulled the rocks away from it, have mulch around it. Didn't know if there's anything special for a red bud. Have some Arizona fertilizer on it. All right. Well, we'll continue that conversation after the bottom of the hour news break, along with your questions at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. We got to talk citrus fertilizing as well, King. Okay escape the fall season without getting a little fertilizer on as well as soil temperatures. As we went into break, Mike was on the line with a red bud tree that I was quite impressed he got 19 years out of it in Arizona. Yeah, no, that's really good. I We, uh, Red buds are definitely not uh, appropriate for this climate zone. They're, my, my sister had one back in Detroit, and and uh, Rosie was just saying they they have them in Louisiana too. But Arizona is out of that you know red buds normal uh, native zone. But that being said, there's a lot of non-native trees that do pretty well in Arizona, you, you, here in the Phoenix area, if there's a microclimate. That's provided for them. You know, the north side of a home that has protection from, or an eastern exposure that has protection from the late afternoon, intense heat. Um, sometimes an irrigated lot that has better moisture. Um, and then, of course, your surrounding trees. 
in an area can provide protection from wind, which is also another element in our in our heat island, the heat island effect, or, or just the heating of our uh, of our desert environment. If you can reduce the wind, it's an ama- amazing thing what that it does because you still have the heat, but you don't have the the intense heat that the additional hot wind can can provide the desiccating effects of of uh, of uh, that hot breeze that that just uh, uh, super heats our, our 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 landscapes. So in those certain microclimates, we have we can um, uh, grow an amazing number of trees that don't normally uh, exist here. I mean, we have a lot of people growing tropicals here in Phoenix, and some really cool trees and plants that you just don't see otherwise. We had we had one customer years ago who brought over a bunch of uh, 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 trees from. Uh, China, because they did a lot of overseas travel and a lot of bamboos. And I, know, I remember they had a ginkgo biloba, which is, again, another uh, tree common to the Midwest. You don't see too many of them here in Phoenix. But, uh, again, a testament to the fact that if you have the right clim- climate conditions and you provide these uh, protected environments, you can get these trees. And once they're established, they seem to do pretty well. Um, you know, they it's just getting them past that first initial stage of, of growing and uh, propagation and then and then of course planting and get them through those first couple of years till they're rooted well into the native soil and then from there they sometimes can can flourish so at this point for you Mike, i hate to be the bearer of bad news but it doesn't sound like uh any amount of effort we could do it may extend it another year or two but uh we're we're, we're probably looking at replacing yeah, yeah, sorry to hear about that. It was a, a nice tree, had a good run. All right, let's get on to our citrus fertilizing for fall. This is one of, I know you're a four-time-a-year citrus fertilizer. Yeah, we, we fertilize citrus three or four times a year. We have a lot of our customers who, who get, get on a regular uh, fertilizing schedule. Um, we like to talk about fertilizing on Valentine's Day, Memorial Day, and Labor Day. That's three good target times if you want to try to time it by those uh, holiday weekends. It makes it easier to remember to do. Uh, but you can also look at our, our tree calendar on our website at itreeservice.com, the letter i, treeservice.com, and look up our tree calendar, and it will uh, give you the timing for all of the, the various uh, fertilizing uh, fertilizer uh, times, uh, plus other um, important uh, kind of uh, markers on the calendar for certain times of year when trees need pruning or maintenance. But, you know, fall is a good time to fertilize because fall fertilization uh, has been shown to be the most helpful in terms of uh, uh, producing a good spring push of growth because the trees will um, uh, metabolize and, and take up the nutrients in the fall, store them, and actually utilize them during the winter, and then they're they're ready, so to speak, when when the spring uh, bloom comes and the spring push of new growth emerges, <clears throat> plants are ready uh, and kind of hit the road running. Uh, it, it, there's uh, it, it, by the same token, when we do our fertilization in the spring and summer, although helpful, it, you're sometimes playing a kind of a, nu- a nutritional catch up game. Because the trees have already uh, required this uh, large, uh, you know, energy um, demand 
for that spring push. And here, if you are a month or so later beginning to fertilize the plants, you you know they've already expended a lot of that energy, and you're replacing what was lost. Uh, the fall fertilization, they say, is the, probably the best time if you're going to do a single one once a year fertilization. This some they say it's the best time if you're uh, not fertilizing over the you know the the course of the entire year. By the way, if you do that three time or four time a, a year fertilization, you need to take your single annual year dosage of fertilizer and break it up into four or three or four equal parts. You don't want to put on a full dosage of fertilizer each time. There needs to be a uh, a meeting out of that that fertilizer over the, the the course of the year. And do you have a preferred brand or product or is you know it the, all just... the trees don't really care what kind of fertilizer you're putting down, what the brand name is on the bag, because the fertilizer is a chemical. You know they're all made up of chemical components: your nitrogen, phosphorus, your potassium, your micronutrients. They're all you know recognizable to the plant in the chemical form that, uh, that they all break down to. So whether it's synthetic or organic, whether it's, you know, they're a granular or a, or a, a, a liquid fertilizer, they all basically are the same uh, essential chemicals. So uh, I, I, it, not a lot. There are some formulations of the NPKs, the, 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 uh, the, the blends of the uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium that are appropriate for specific trees, and there's some desert, you know, uh, blends that are that are more appropriate for Arizona trees. So I, we like the Arizona Best brand. Um, some of the local nurseries also provide some of their own um, mixtures. But yeah, you can look around, and generally speaking, though, the the, the uh, a, a three to one to one ratio is good for trees across the the world. Uh, th- three being the nitrogen, one being the potassium, one being the the um, uh, uh, where where are we? One one the, one phosphorus nitrogen potassium. Is yeah. that the? <laughs> yeah, so the, the it's but it's a three to one to one ratio or a two to one to one. You oh. want the nitrogen to be about twice um, the the other two ingredients, two or three times the amount. Their manufacturers they've got it down pretty good. Just follow the directions on the back. Right, and some of our plants are going to need a little bit more micronutrients, especially your non-natives. We don't recommend fertilizing any of our native uh, trees and shrubs. They're pretty well adapted to our native soil conditions and the available nutrients. But we do have a lot of non-natives that are, um, you know, need a little bit Ash, more. Um, yeah, they need some more vitamins and minerals that aren't readily available. Like if you get one of those exotic plants that aren't so adaptable to this climate conditions, in the same way they're not as adaptable to the soil conditions and to our available nutrients. So they might need a little bit more iron in the soil, for instance. They might need a little bit more, um, you know, zinc or any some of the trace minerals. And so keep that in mind that if you do put in non-native plants, they sometimes will have nutritional demands that that you'll have to be taken into consideration as you. Uh, maintain them. On your fall fertilization talking points, you got a note here that says soil temperatures. Yeah, the uh, this time of year, you know, as soil temperatures are dropping, there's a point at which you wouldn't probably want to be transplanting trees because they say that if soil temperatures are below about 50 degrees, there's not a lot of root activity taking place. So you want to be sure that if you do your fall fertilization, you do it sometime in September, October, 
maybe mid-November might be a time to be thinking about, you know, stopping because you're you're not going to get a lot of uptake. If there's no root activity um, taking place or very little as we move into what's commonly, commonly known as a dormancy period, there's a lot of root activity still in our desert soils longer than in other climates because, of course, our, our temperatures are higher. But you would, um, op- optimally, you want the... Uh, that fertilization to take place now in the in the next couple of months before we start getting into the really cold temperatures. And then on the you were, we had had a conversation at one point talking about deciduous trees and whether it's good pointless to water them. Are you just wasting water during that dormant season, or do they still need? Uh, the the water for that spring push. Yeah, they definitely. You don't want to neglect watering your your plants. Of course, if we've had a regular irregular cycle of 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 intermittent um, rain, uh, maybe a maybe a significant amount of rain in the winter. Occasionally, we'll get a very wet winter with, you know, two or three inches um, in the fall and winter months. Uh, we generally get most of it during the monsoon and sometimes in in early spring. But if we have had a relatively wet winter, you know, you don't have to be so concerned about this. But sometimes people will actually throw their timers off, you know, in the fall and just and uh, basically not water their plants through the fall and winter months, which is not a good uh, a good idea. Plants do need water, even though it's not as um, critical as it is in the summer. So, yeah, occasionally a nice deep soaking of your trees and shrubs during the winter is is advisable. Keep them, uh, keep them hydrated. They'll love you for it. Dave's on the line. He wants to know about uh, Mar- hello, Dave. Yeah, welcome to the program. Hey, hey John. Hello. Hey. How are you? Good. Have you seen any um, the bigger magnolias? I think they're grandiflores in the valley in the ground for a while. I know the little gems are pretty prominent around town and are hanging in there but i was looking for something a little bit bigger for a client and uh i was curious of what your experience if any with these trees you know i i haven't really had any personal experience you know we've seen magnolias the smaller variety as you said you know commonly planted around some especially some of the older neighborhoods you know i would consult with a local nursery and see what their experience is because year to year the the new cultivars are coming online, and you might be surprised to find that that there are some larger um, specimens with a larger bloom that might be available. And but that would be probably your resource would be to go to some of the local growers and find out you know what they would recommend for the low desert. Again, if you've got a protected environment and would like to try one of the the others, you could certainly order them online and and have one delivered from the Midwest and give it a go. But again, yeah. there, there's a local nursery that, that has some monsters and I probably wouldn't buy a 64 inch box as an experiment, but, um, <laughs> but the tree that ultimately the tree needs to be, you know, 50, 40, 50 feet tall uh, to, to do what we want them to do. And I have a flood irrigated lot. So I've got an optimal Location, location, I think, but still, it's a pretty big bite to to buy a thirty six or a forty inch box tree that <laughs> you don't know if it's gonna, you know, how it's gonna do. They, they've lasted through the summer in the nursery, so I guess 
you know, I guess that's that's a good sign. But I was just looking for a little bit more. So I'll ask around. Some no, more. that sounds good. Is this Dave? Yes, it is. Hey, Dave. Uh, I I know your voice now that I I I know who you <laughs> know who you are. Glad to hear you, hear, hear you. Glad to have you call in. Yeah, I would be really um, tempted to to give it a try. You know, because. If you said that they've been there in the nursery for a year and they've been doing well and weathering the the summer heat, um, I would just if it's a good if it's good plant stock and no girdling roots and you know you could do a little investigation on that line. Uh, yeah, man, that, yeah, it would sh- sure be nice to put it in a spot that you know already is going to provide you that microclimate that a tree like that would need. You you owe us a follow up on this, Dave. What what did y'all ultimately end up deciding? Did you put a magnolia in there on a 60-inch magnolia box from you. You're looking at a couple thousand dollar install. Oh, that's more you? than that, yeah. Yeah, the, the tree, I think, is close to 10. <laughs> wow. 10 grand. And, yeah, and I think they're bringing them in out of Texas, to be honest with you, or someplace further south and east. But but at any rate, I, I mean, the trees look impressive, and, and I do need something, you know, eucalyptus or something that size, you know, something that's going to get really big and throw cast a long shadow. Is what we're looking for. So, well, best of luck. Sounds like a great, great plan. On a beautiful Saturday morning, it is so nice. I was outside early morning, about quarter to four. And it was chilly. You, you know, know how exciting that is? Well, I went night... I, I had goosebumps. I, I went night fishing, <laughs> and I, and I it was so beautiful, you know, at, at 8, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. I finally, um, I slept on the boat, and I didn't bring... What happened is actually I my boat flooded. I had a leak in the hole. I didn't realize it, and it soaked my sleeping bag. Oh! So I slept out on the boat on the boat and I all I had was like a beach towel and I was wrapped up in this beach towel. it was absolutely cold this is like a week or so ago so I, yeah I know it's starting to feel a little bit like fall you know getting out in the early morning at the yard too you know we're, we usually get at the yard around five o'clock as a crew and we all were kind of feeling a little a little, little relief little little bit of cool breeze in that early morning it sure it's really nice now, the benefits of trees go on and on and on, but what are some of the dangers as it relates to disease and pathogens that we have to be aware of? Yeah, you, you know, Arizona enjoys, from a, a bug standpoint, the benefits of really high temperatures in the, in the summer and, and what can be very extreme low temperatures in the winter, which tends to kill off a lot of our insects so that they don't overwinter and have a generational uh, multiplication of their numbers. When we have a mild winter, we often have a very high uh, insect problem in the spring on our trees and shrubs. But as the temperatures start to drop in the fall, for the same reasons, the insect populations can start to flourish again. And you need to be kind of careful. We do have some problems with uh, uh, various uh, uh, gnawing and the, the, the gnawing insects, they call them, that are uh, chewing on the leaves and, the, and the, the, uh, the fruit on some of our fruit trees and others. You have piercing insects, which 
uh, pierce and suck, and then you have gnawing insects that chew and, and devour, uh, caterpillars and um, sharpshooters and other types of insects that uh, invade our landscapes. But by the way, they're, they, they do have their natural predators. As, as populations increase, it's, it's boom time for their predators because then they've got a, um, a lot of um, prey. And sometimes most of our insect problems, if they're allowed to just run their natural cycle, will eventually, uh, uh, although they've done some cosmetic damage to some of our plants, they will eventually be uh, reduced in numbers by their, by their natural predators stepping in and starting to do their, uh, do their work. And then, of course, if we wait another couple of months until we get a, a, our first couple of freezes, uh, then it will usually uh, finish off the rest of that generation of insects. Now, if during that time, during their life cycle, if they've deposited some eggs, well, those eggs often will overwinter and produce the new generation in the, in the, in the spring. So you have this cycle of, it's a natural cycle, and, and, and many of our insects, by the way, are beneficial insects. We always, you know, many of us wrongly categorize all bugs as, as evil, you know, the, these are just, are they're pests. You know, we just don't like them in our yard. But we have to be careful not to, to just to realize that they play a vitally important part in the ecology in our, within our landscapes. And uh, just as bees are, and, and other insects are, are, are necessary pollinators for all of our plants, many insects in the food chain have a, play a very important role. So just be careful about using insecticides, you know, haphazardly. There, it's nice to have that silver bullet of a of an insecticide available in 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 extreme infestations, but just be uh, be very judicious in the in the use of um, any kind of herbicide. The overall or cause and effect. Insecticides, yeah. You know, f- frogs. Oh, we, our summer frogs are still out. Those big old Arizona green toads. I know we and had <laughs> we had one that was bouncing around our yard the other day too. We this, just, is it just me or is this a little late for them? Seems like usually about the end of August, this they all go back underground. But I don't know why this guy just showed up a week or so ago, and he's been around every morning at, at our yard. And we, um, I, I think they're a function of the of the, the annual rainfall in the mm-hmm. desert, right? That that causes them to emerge and, and get active. And yeah, they're pretty cool. You know, he's been kind of our our, our mascot <laughs> the last few weeks. We he, we didn't want him to get inside our shop, so we keep kind of displacing him and putting him a little further out away from our 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 yard area. But he seems to find his way back. There must be a lot of insects and things and moths around the lights because he's back around our building every morning. Oh, they they huddle around our light. They just sit there and get fatter by the minute. <laughs> You didn't get a hold of John or you want to follow up and schedule a time for a certified arborist, it's itreeservice.com, itreeservice.com, or you can give them a call at 602-788-0005.